Thank you so much. Uh, good morning, everyone. Isn't it good to be in God's house today? It's so good to see you here today. Some first time back uh, for months, and we are so glad to have you in our worship. Some of you have been um, wintering somewhere else and back in worship with us today. We're glad to have you back. Others uh, uh, feeling the freedom to come back and join us in in-person worship and we want to welcome you today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Will you today, will you, whether you're at home or here in the building, will you rejoice and be glad in this day? Because it's a day that he has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. How many of y'all believe that God's got a good word for us today? Amen. So I know that he does, and so I encourage you to open your Bible, look with me to 1 John. That's the next section that we're looking at in this series that we've entitled Confident Faith. Because again and again and again, John wants us to know and to be certain and be confident of certain things. And so he's teaching us in this book, and it's been held, uh, given to us through the Holy Spirit at the pen of the Apostle John. And if you find with me to 1 John chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 18, I've entitled the text for the day, Knowing the time. And as we read the text, I think you'll understand why. Look with me to 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse number 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you, if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he himself made to us, eternal life. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you instead his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you. Remain in him. Amen. Heavenly Father, today as we look into this text, I pray that you would speak to us and teach us, that Father, that we would 
listen closely to your word. Father, I pray that we would set aside distracting things, things that would keep us from hearing you. And Father, we ask you to speak into our lives. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to do business in us. Convince us of what is true. Convince us of what is right. Convict us about what is wrong or sinful. Give us strength and conviction about walking in the truth. Comfort us in our grief. Oh, Father, speak to us. We are listening. Lord, today, I pray that, Lord, I, I just pray that we might know the confidence of forgiveness of our sin, that the blood of your Son has forgive, cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and that, Father, through him we have bold access to your throne. And we cast our burdens upon you this day, and we know that you care for us. Thank you for so loving us. Now, Father, we want to know and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, as we look into this passage of Scripture and knowing the time, this is exactly what the, the, the writer says as, he, as John writes. In verse number 18, children, he calls us children here. All of us are children of God. And it's an affectionate term that he uses here. All of us as God's children. He's writing to us. It is the last hour. Notice he says it again in verse number 18 twice in this one little sentence. It is the last time. It is the last hour. So we need to understand what time it is. Amen? And uh, what time is it anyway? At our house, we have a grandfather clock that sits in our foyer. And uh, it was made by one of our church members a long time ago, Bill Nesbitt, who's a long time gone with to be with the Lord. And that grandfather clock quit working a few months ago, and it just sits at our house, and it says 6.30 every hour. It's just 6.30. What time is it? The grandfather clock says it's 6.30. doesn't matter what time it is. It just says it's 6.30 because it's broken. I need to get the clock man out to fix my uh, uh, clock. I heard about the old farmer that went to bed, and his clock malfunctioned, and in the middle of the night it chimed 14 times. He said, get up, Nellie. It's later than it's ever been. <laughs> what time is it? What time is it? My oldest son, when he was just a little boy, Andy, he, he, he was just a little guy, and he just loved to play baseball, loved to play catch, loved to play ball. He was just a little fellow and just learning. And, and uh, he said, Dad, when will you be home? And I said, well, son, I'll be home when I get finished. He said, about 5 o'clock? And I thought, that's all. But that's what I told Kirstie all the time. I'd say, I'll be home about 5 o'clock. And so he said, about 5 o'clock? I said, yeah, about 5 o'clock. About 5 o'clock, Dad. When you get home, we're going to play ball, right? I said, when you get home. And then he goes, Dad, how long till 5 o'clock? <laughs> because he couldn't tell time yet. What time is it? John is writing to us, and he says, I want you to know the time. It's the last hour. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. In these last days, these are perilous times. In 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times 
Some shall depart from the faith. We see this in these latter days. Jesus taught about these last days, about those who are defective and, and leave in the latter days. And notice in the gospel, it says in, Ch- in, Mac- in Matthew 13, he tells the parable about a, a, a farmer who sowed wheat in his field. And after he had sowed wheat in his field, it, 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 it sprouted up with good wheat, but the enemy had come along and sown tares in the field. And tares were in the wheat field as well. And the servant said, Master, there's both tares and wheats growing in the field. And he said, the enemy has done this. Should we pull them up? He said, no, not now. But in the end, when the harvesters will come, and they will separate the tares and bind them and throw them in the fire, but the wheat will be gathered into my barn. There is a there is a separation that is coming, and we understand that we live in these perilous and last times. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says, In these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. We live in post-resurrection days, or last days, and Jesus Christ is coming soon at any time. or any. How many of y'all believe that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is coming again? No man knows the hour, no man knows the day, but the Father alone. But we are to be alert and faithful serving the Lord, because we live in these last days. And salvation is nearer than when we first believed. James says, the judge is standing right at the door. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11 says, besides this, knowing the time, it's already the hour for you to awaken, to wake up from sleep, from now. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is at hand. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I'm telling you, Paul is writing. He says, it's time for you to understand what time it is. It's time to wake up. It is time to clean up, put off the deeds of darkness. And it's time to dress up, put on the armor of light. These are the last days. Now, what are the telltale signs that we are living in the last days? Look with me to... 1 John chapter 1, verse number 18, and he says, And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how you know that it is the last hour. The first thing that you understand is disobedience. The Antichrist are here. These are, these are the spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit of lawlessness. It is anti, against Christ, supplanting Christ, leading us astray and away from God, leading mankind more and more toward rebellion against authority and a rebellion against God's word. If you look with me to 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, do you have your Bible? Look with me to 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, verse 3 and 4. Listen to the scripture. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the apostasy or rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. There's a man coming, and he is this Antichrist, a lawless man, the man doomed to destruction. 
He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Notice verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and the, and the one now restraining will do so until he's out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they, will not believe, that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. This is apostasy and a falling away and a rebellion against the things of God. And there's this man of lawlessness that will be revealed. But the mystery of lawlessness is at work today. And Satan is working with false teaching, false works, false ministers, false miracles. And he wants to deceive us. We live in an age, listen to me, of of, of increasing lawlessness and rebellion against God and truth and authority. And these are telltale signs of the last days that we live in. Are you all with me today? This lawlessness is not only in our culture, but it's in the world. We see an opposition against authority, opposition against government, opposition against laws, op- hating the police, hating authority, hating with violent acts and insurrection and rioting and hate crimes and hate the truth, hate life and hate children and hate the fetus in the womb and hate righteousness and hate those who preach the truth. They hate. And violence has filled their heart and lawlessness. This isn't from the Holy Spirit. It's from evil one at work. We need to wake up. It's time for us not to hit the snooze alarm. It's happening all around us. It's time for the people of God to be the people of God. To be light against this world of darkness. Matthew 24, 4 and 5, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. The spirit of lawlessness is disobedience, and it's increasingly pointing to the last days. Secondly, there's not only disobedience, but there is desertion, and this points to the fact that we are living in the last days. In verse number 19, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. 
John says they left us because they didn't belong to us. Notice the contrast that is there between they and us. Again and again, they and us, they and us, they and us. Five times, six times, they and us. Notice the contrast between those who leave, those who go, and those who remain. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, Jesus speaks of this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse number 10, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says in the last days, Jesus predicts in Matthew 24, prophesies, that they will take offense at the gospel, that they will turn away from faith, that their heart and their love for God will grow cold. They will betray one another, they'll hate one another, and they'll follow false prophets and false ideas. This is why people leave the fellowship of the church. They desert the church. They quit coming. And it reveals a true problem within their heart. Why do people leave the church? Why do people leave? It's the thing that bothers all of us. Why does this happen? First of all, some people leave the church because they're distracted. They come to church. They come to fellowship with God's people, but it's like a new thing in their life, and they're enamored with this new thing. But then a shiny object comes along, some new hobby, some new idea, some new interest, and they're all following that thing and because they're distracted. Some leave the church because they're disappointed. They get their eyes on other people, and they have fallen. They've, they have disappointed them about something. And so that person that has disappointed them, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a deacon, maybe it's a fellow church member, maybe it's a pastor, a staff member, but they're disappointed and because they're disappointed and they've got their eyes on somebody else, then they say, well, I'm going to quit. And they just quit. And other people quit because they're disillusioned. They're disillusioned. They, 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 they've put the, maybe they put the preacher on a pedestal, and they, they are now they realize that he has feet of clay, that he's just a man, and they're disillusioned. Some preachers climb up on the pedestal, and great is their fall. I'm just telling you, none of us, all of us are sinners, and we need a Savior. Amen? They, some people, they, they, they think they join, they come to a church, and they, they, they identify with the church, and, and they have this idealism that says, like an idyllic place, this is perfect, man, this is just great, this is wonderful. And then they're here for a little while, and all of a sudden they become disillusioned because they realize these people have problems too. And so they go off, and they find another church where there's no problems there. And before long, they find out there's problems there, and they hop to another church. And it's because they're disillusioned. And others are discouraged. They stop because they're discouraged. They're discouraged deep in their heart. And they, they need encouragement. But the very thing that they can find... They, they, they began to withdraw from the fellowship when the fellowship is what they really need. And others leave because they've been deceived. And they believe that somehow life is found in something else and not in the gospel. Now, how do, how do we respond to that? 
Well, first of all, I think we need to pursue those who've strayed away. And we need to go after the strays and find them and love them, encourage them, confront them, talk with them, pray for them. That's, that's what we're to do. We're to seek in those who are, who are lost and, and bring them back. But some, but some stray away because they didn't belong to us. And they didn't know the Lord really. And they were never really of us. Goodspeed says in his translation of this, they've gone out from our number, but they did not really belong to us. Knox in his translation said, they came out of our company, but they never belonged to our company. Moffat said, they had, and translated, had they, be, had they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. The problem is they don't continue, and continuance to the end is one of the marks of a real believer. This is one of the doctrines that we believe, perseverance of the saints. In, Mark's, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. John 8, 31 says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. B.H. Carroll, one of the founding fathers in Southern Baptist life, uh, first president of Southwestern Seminary, said, when you see a star fall, you know it was not a star. Wayne Ward, former teacher at Southern Seminary, said a falter at the finish is a flaw at the first. There's a problem Whenever our faith doesn't last and we withdraw from the fellowship and live like unbelievers. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to its own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in mire. Let's think about that scripture verse for a moment. He said, the truth of the matter is, you can take a hog and you can bathe that hog, shampoo that hog. You can put a ribbon on that hog. You can dress it up in frilly clothes. And you can put lipstick on that hog's lips, but it's still a hog. You can perfume the hog. You can let the hog roam around in your house, but you let it out. If you can find a mud hole, it's going to that mud hole, and he's going to wallow in the mud because the character of that hog is that way. And a dog returns to his own vomit. Ooh, disgusting. But anybody who has a dog knows it's true. They'll eat their own vomit. They'll eat other things that, too. We had a dog at our house. We did for a long while at... Actually, this dog is not a dog we chose. It came into our house by election. And uh, actually, Brad brought it home with him when he lived at our house without consulting with us. He just did it. On the weekend, Christy was gone. And so uh, her name was Rhonda, an American bulldog, huge thing. And Christy learned to love that dog. That dog, though, was a mess. And uh, we just love her to death, greatest personality in all the world, but she could stink to high heaven. We'd bathe her, wash her, Christy would wash her, Brad would wash her, her coat was brilliantly white. She just looked beautiful and just loved that dog, 
But you know what? We'd let her out to go to the bathroom, and if she could go find some raccoon poop, she'd roll around in it. If she could find a dead animal, she'd roll around in it. She just loved it. She just got it all over and couldn't wait to come back in. The whole house stinked. I had it again. Because she's still a dog. No matter how much you clean them up, they're still a hog or a dog until their character is changed. And people go back because they haven't been changed. If you've withdrawn from the fellowship of the church, it's a very dangerous place to be. One of the signs that we live in the last times is the unfaithfulness of those who formerly claimed to be a part of the family of God. Now, there's a perspective about this. First of all, from an earthly perspective, an earthly point of view, they're leaving is because they're dissatisfied with this or dissatisfied with that. Or they found something else or they have no taste for what we believe or what we confess. Or they want to follow their own new beliefs or they blame some imperfection in the church or they blame that their needs aren't being met, or they blame it on pandemic protocols. And that's from an earthly perspective. But from a heavenly, higher perspective, and this is what John writes. However, in verse 19, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. Their departure from another perspective is is providential. They unknowingly fulfill the purpose of God because it exposes who they really are and protects the church from damage. Understand We live in the last days, and one of the signs of last days is rebellion, disobedience, and desertion from the people of God. Number three, denial. Verse number 22, and it says, Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Listen, when you deny that Jesus Christ is Messiah, you are denying the Father and the Son, and you cannot deny that Jesus is only the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, and you're confessing that he is God in the flesh. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Look with me to what John says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, 
even now, is already in the world. When you deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're denying that all about Jesus that is true. You're making up ideas about Jesus. You might say, yeah, you believe in Jesus, but it's a Jesus that you want to remake in your own image, in your own ideas. You deny that Jesus Christ was a real man. You deny that Jesus Christ was born of flesh to, a, to Mary, born of a virgin. You deny that Jesus was perfectly the Son of God. You deny that Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. You deny that Jesus Christ preached, and when he preached, he preached repentance, turning from sin and turning to God. You deny that Jesus preached Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. You deny that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for all of our sins. And he bore in his body the full penalty that we deserve. And he died for all of us. And you deny that he was buried in a grave. And that he literally rose again from the dead, securing our salvation. And you deny that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And you deny that there's, he is the only only way to God. And when you deny these things, you're denying who he is, really. And you want, you're denying the gospel. And they want to remake Jesus in their own image. They want a harmless, effeminate teacher of love that allows anything else to go and doesn't interrupt their life. They don't want a reigning, ruling Jesus who judges the living and the dead. And they deny him. And when you deny Jesus, who he is and what he's done, then you don't have a relationship with God either. He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son has not the life, John says. Number four, deception. These, this is a telltale sign that we live in the last days. There's this evil intent of seduction and deception and pulling the wool over people's eyes and leading them astray. Verse 26, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Do you all believe that there are deceivers out there? Yes, they're everywhere, and they lie to us. They deceive us. They're trying to deceive your children. They're in the schoolhouse. They're on social media. They're in the culture. They're seducing. They're deceiving. They're leading astray. Second John, chapter, chapter, and there's only one chapter. Second John, verse 7, look with me. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. There are deceivers. They seduce. They lie. They don't teach the truth. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, look, there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders 
to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. There's the seduction. It's trying to seduce believers into lies. There's seductive false prophets, false preachers, false theology. They teach the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And I'm telling you, it is not orthodox, true gospel. It's false teaching that will lead you astray. They teach false doctrine. It's in the culture. It's America first. It's all about America. It's about politics. It's about being great as a country and about America first. Listen, don't conflate the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. It's going to get quiet in here, didn't it? We don't care about the vulnerable, don't care about the widow, the orphan, the alien. The seduction of material wealth. That life is about riches and wealth and lifestyle and, and that that's, that's what seduction to this. But there's emptiness. This week I'm talking to someone who's angry, talking with somebody that, that's upset and, and mad at the world and, and because it's pursued, he's pursuing something other than pursuing the life that is found in God. The seduction is I deserve pleasure, I deserve rest. I would deserve retirement. I deserve a, a, a good life, and, and I'm, I'm just going to sit on the bench and not serve God in my life. The seduction of justice and righteousness, that somehow it can be found by, and at the same time, rejecting moral truth. The seduction of saying that I get to be who I am. I get to be whatever I say I want to be. I am this confusion. I am who I say I am. And and, and it's a seduction. It's wrong. It's not true. The seduction that says I have the right to choose who I am and how I live and my identity. And that no one has authority over me. That's a seduction. It's a lie. The deceiver is teaching it, deceiving us and blinding us. These are telltale signs that we live in the last days. You say, Brother Tim, is there any good news in this message today? Yes. Praise God. Let's look at, then how do I have strength? For these last days. Where's my strength come from? If we indeed live in these last days, where's my strength found? I'm glad you asked. Number one, you need to belong to a community of faith. Amen. Notice in verse number 19 what he says here in our text. He says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. First of all, there's an idea of belonging, and you need to belong to a community of faith. Can somebody in this room say amen? You need to belong to a community of faith. You need to place your life in a community of faith. No, it won't be perfect. 
because it's filled with imperfect people that are on the journey. But, God, they, but it's the people of God that are being transformed. You have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You need to belong to a people of a faith and belong to a community. And you need not only belong, you need to contribute. Not only contribute, find a place to serve. Find a place to give. Find a place to love other people. Find a place where you can learn, where you can teach, where you can be encouraged, where you can give of your life. Identify with God's people. Stay in the church and stop hopping from one church to another. And forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some. The CFB says, not straying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 25. My friends, we need each other. Amen? Tell your neighbor, we need each other. We do. And you too, uh, put your life, belong to a community of faith. Number two, confess Jesus is the Christ. Confess him with your mouth. Confess him to others. Who is the liar, the one who does deny that Jesus is the Christ? This is one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. But listen, he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Confess Jesus he is the Christ. He is your Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 says, Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Confess Jesus. Confess means to say and agree the same thing about Jesus. It says, we need to confess, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a blood-bought Christian. I am a child of God. I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I am his, and I am going to live for him. I want you to know with a certainty that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And you need to Confess it with your mouth. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. Are you confessing him? Confess him at work, the people that you work with. Confess him at home. Confess him at your mealtime. Confess him in your prayer life. Confess Jesus Christ to your children. Confess, tell your children, he is my Lord and Master and Savior and King. And while I'm not perfect, I've hitched my life to him. And he's my Master and he's my Lord. And I'll live for him till the day that I die. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, are you? Confess him to your grandchildren that he is your Lord and Master and King. Confess him as your Savior and Lord. Confess him to your, to, to your neighbors. Confess him to strangers. You say, Pastor, no way. Yes, we are to be salt and light in a broken world. People don't think you're stupid. That's a lie out of hell. They might. Maybe some might, but... That just reveals their lostness. The other day I was playing golf with some guys, and my, with my son, I took him out, and, and we played at this golf course where we had to have a caddy to guide us in the course. And 
African-American man and wonderful guy, and Clarence, and, and we're playing. And 70 years old, tremendous shape, walked the course. And, uh, you know, I'm a duffer, so my, I hit the ball, and who knows where it goes. I, you know, I, I, my idea is I put it on T-swing as hard as I can and then hope to find it. And so, uh, you know, I'm a perfect preaching golfer because I, I hit the ball, and then I, I look for the lost. And so, uh, and so I, I, I just, uh, we're playing golf. I ended up in the sand a lot. Clarence was there, and he was holding my clubs, and I hit a shot, and I was climbing out of the sand trap. I said, Clarence, you want to hear some good news? A after watching my golf game, he said, yeah, I'd like to hear some good news. <laughs> I said, uh, I can't play golf, but I'm a, I'm a child of God. Jesus Christ saved me, and he is the greatest new source of my life and he said well brother I'm a blood-bought born-again saved Christian and I thank God that you know him too and I said well man we are brothers aren't we and he said we are And you know what he didn't he didn't think I was strange he rejoiced with me and I rejoiced with him we talked about the Lord the rest of the trip there wasn't much golf to talk about but we talked about the Lord. I'm telling you, you can talk about him. Confess him. It strengthens you, strengthens others. And if they don't know Christ, it gives you an opportunity to be a witness to them. Then remain in the truth. Not only confess him, but remain in the truth. Notice in verse number 20 and 21 what he says. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Notice, and all of you know the truth. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Verse 24, what you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you, the message you've received. If what you've heard from the beginning remains, abides in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. Remain in the truth. No lie comes from the truth. Sanctify them by, thy tru by truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Stay grounded in the truth. I'm telling you, in a world of deception, in a world of lies, in a world that we live in, in these that last days, how does a Christian stand strong by anchoring your life in the truth, taking in the truth, remaining in the truth, applying the truth in your life, believing the truth. This is true. Don't depart from the truth. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. 
God's Word works powerfully inside of your life. Fourthly, rest in your anointing. You have an anointing from God. A heavenly unction, an outpouring of His Spirit on your life. The word anointing in the Bible is sometimes the anointing of oil for healing purposes. Sometimes it's the anointing of oil for refreshment purposes. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. It is this refreshment that comes from the Lord. But it is often the the commissioning and the empowerment of God's Spirit represented in the oil over a priest or a prophet or a king, and God has made us a kingdom of priests, and he has given you holy anointing from the Holy Spirit. And he has poured out his spirit. When you gave your heart to Christ, when you turned and God called you from your sin to salvation, and you were born again, and you became a child of God, I want you to know that the spirit of God came to dwell inside of you, and God has pointed an anointing on your life. You're to rest in that anointing. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and remind you everything I have told you. The anointing enables you to live victoriously. The anointing enables you to serve graciously. The anointing strengthens you to learn personally. It is an anointing that comes from God. You don't have to go to seminary to understand this. I'm telling you, this is an open book to believers. When you read it and you pray, God teach me. He'll teach you and transform you. And he gave you a holy anointing that lives inside of you. And in desperate days and last days and seduction days, I'm telling you, don't be deceived. You rest in the anointing of God that is inside of you. You're a child of God. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, I rest in you. I'm telling you what, I know the Lord Jesus. I know that I've been saved and I know I'm filled with the Spirit of God. That's not bragging. Every born-again believer needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Can somebody say amen in here? Rest in your anointing. Finally, just abide in Christ. In verse number 27, and we're done. The last words in that verse says, remain in him. Abide in him. Dwell in him. You say, Brother Tim, how do I do that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. 1 John 3, 21. Dear friends, 
If our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask of Him because we keep His commands and do what's pleasing in His sight. Now this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, abides in him, and he in him. And the way that we know that he remains or abides in us is from the spirit he has given us. How do I abide in Christ? I keep his commands. I walk in obedience. I love God. And I love others. That there's love. I'm remaining in love. In chapter number 4, verse number 13. And this is how we know that we remain or abide in Him and He in us. He's given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we know, and we have come to know, and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains or abides in love abides in God. And God abides, remains in Him. This is how you abide in Christ. You trust Jesus Christ. You love God. You love the Lord. And you confess your sin. And you confess that Jesus is Lord. And you don't leave the truth. And you do love other people. And you do love God. And you rest and obey Him. And you love Him. And you abide and remain in Him. We live in the last days. And your life, your life and your strength is found in abiding in Jesus Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. In these last days, let's abide in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the word. It's powerful. It's true. And Father, it's so encouraging. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today they might turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Know him personally. If others have been seduced to walk away, I pray that they would come home and repent and find life again in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.